Thank you for joining us here at Celebration Church, where we celebrate God, celebrate people, and celebrate life. We hope you enjoy today's message. Good morning, church. How are we? Nice to see your faces or not your faces. If you're online, hello. Um, If you're listening in your ears, hello. Um, Welcome, 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 welcome. It's good to have everybody in the space on this very fresh winter's day. It's very bleak outside. Um, But thank you for coming out. You guys are the, you know... I don't know. I was going to say the troopers, but, you know, it's not that big a deal. It's only a little bit cold, isn't it? (laughs) Let's not pat ourselves on the back too much. Um, very exciting. Just on our um, celebration offering, so that is coming up on the last Sunday in August, um, so about four or five-ish weeks away. Um, so make sure, like what we said in that um, video, be prayerfully considering what you want to give, be putting money aside each week. Um, we do this every year as Celebration Church, but let's not become familiar with the, um, the impact that our generosity can have Um, in our home, in our city, and in our world. Um, What we've got up the back, if everyone wants to turn around and wave at Alan. No, I'm joking. (laughs) Alan's there. Hi, Alan. We can all wave at Alan. (laughs) Um, But at the back there, we have our celebration offering global impact map. And that is just for your information as a church family to be able to visually see. I don't know if anyone's a visual learner in the room. Yes, I definitely am. Um, We can hear lots of information um, from the screen and from somebody up the front. But if you can actually visually see what we're doing and where we're doing it, um, I think that that's really cool. So that is showing what we have already given into as a church. um, And we'll be adding into that of what we are going to be giving into um, as the celebration offerings go on. And that's also awesome for all of our prayer warriors in the house. You know, go up there each week if you want to. Have a look. God, you know gives you like a little bit of a sense of an area or a certain project that you want to be praying into, take that on board Um, because I think that that's cool to visually be able to see it. Um, And also, I get to introduce you to our next child, not my physical child, (laughs) celebration child. Um, Because like what we said, we are sponsoring five kids in our celebration offering for this year. And that is going to be an ongoing um, sponsorship. It's not just for the year. And then we're like, okay, see you later. Um, We are now adopting these five kids as part of our celebration family for the duration of their sponsorship, which I think is up until they're about 18 years old. So as a church family, we're committing to this. Um, You guys can pray for them. But I mentioned, oh, we might even do a missions trip to visit them. And I was like, how cool would that be if our church went over and was like, ah, you're our babies. They'll be like, whoa, lots of like random people. Anyway, so I'm introducing you to our new um, sponsored child. So we've already done two. Um, This is our next one. His name is Adudzi. Look at him, Adudzi. He's seven years old. He's from Ghana. Um, He lives with his mother. Oh, her mother. <laughs> it's a male. It is definitely a male. Um, oh, it says he's from Ecuador. Sorry, I said Ghana. It doesn't. But then it says in Ecuador. Is this from the last person? Oh, 
Claudia. No, it's okay. Um, anyway, he is from Ghana. We just forgot to change it from the other kid we talked about. Um, but that's okay. He likes um, board games, Bible class and Sunday school. Um, he helps his mother with kitchen chores and errands. Good on you, a dudesy. Um, so welcome to the family. Yay! <laughs> yay, 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 yay. Um, also, just want to touch on sisterhood just really quickly because I can um, in a couple of weeks. So it is a bit of a different sisterhood. We normally come inside here and we have a bit of a service. Um, this one, I really wanted it to be focused on fellowship and um, that connection. We're talking about family, but I think sometimes on a Sunday, we don't always get that opportunity to um, cross generationally. Um, mingle. Sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. So my heart for sisterhood is that it would be that. It's not going to be a service at all. We'll be in the cafe. We're just going to be having afternoon tea together. We're going to hear some people share their testimony. But other than that, I want it to be really um, open, fellowshipping, welcome for you guys to invite um, people that aren't in church already that might want to come and just connect. Some people might not be willing to come into a Sunday service, but they might be willing to go to something socially. So if you have people in mind that you've been wanting to invite, bring them along. We'll love them. We'll embrace them. Um, so that's for all ladies over the age of 16. So come along to that because I'm really excited for that. Um, and Benai is here. He sent me a text. He says, say hello to the church. Um, he's on dad duty over at Kids. Um, because, can I just say, all the mums and dads in the room <laughs> feel my pain. Oh, you don't, but that's okay. Um, Bear's going through a sleep regression. Does anyone remember the sleep regressions? No, yes, some people. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, it's a thing that they do developmentally. Anyway, he's been such a good sleeper, I can't complain. But for the last two weeks, oh, Praise the Lord. I feel like I have a newborn again. <laughs> He's like waking up every two hours. So I'm like, oh, <laughs> thank Jesus for coffee and I don't know, carbs to get you going in the day because <laughs> it's just been a struggle. Anyway, so Benai is with him. Um, so he does say hi. You'll see him after the service. Um, but anyway, it's just probably a little bit too much information of my life, isn't it really? Good. Thank you. It's <laughs> uh, good. Praise Jesus. <sighs> All right, let's get some um, scripture <laughs> happening to set us straight. Um, so, that we are talking about family, obviously, is our theme. Um, and Benaiah shared such a beautiful message last week about um, fatherhood. He talked about fathers, being fathers in the faith, but also that was not just in terms of gender, but that whole idea of fathers and mothers and the importance of that um, within our church. And it was such a beautiful message. Go back and listen to it if you missed it. Um, because I was sitting there going, oh, so good, so encouraging. Um, so this morning, we're going along again that theme of family, but I just wanted to um, take some examples from Jesus' life, if, if that's okay. Um, and I'm talking about a family that loves like Jesus. Because um, I have just been, again, I probably say this every week, but when it comes to my walk with God, when it comes to church, when it comes to, you know, calling yourself a Christian, I just find that it's just so, the older I get and the, the more I, um, what is it, get like um, 
deeper into my walk with God. I find it becoming so much more simple. Um, I think that sometimes we can complicate things and sometimes when you go to the Bible, you don't know what to read or, you know, there's all these different sermons that you can listen to and everyone's, you know, doing the theme or doing, you know, let's focus on family, let's focus on prayer, let's focus on, you know, whatever it is, that sometimes it can become confusing. I, even for myself, find sometimes I'm like, but I think I said, like it's just getting more and more simple to me and we're going to read it but that all it is is being a Christian walking with God it's just loving God and it's loving people that's it it's it's not it doesn't have to be religious it doesn't have to be all of these dramatic theories that in itself loving God loving people has so much depth and so much um so much to unpack just in those two things but at its core at its essence that is what it is to say that you're a Christian and it's it's clear because it says it in Mark 12 verse 30 um and all of the verses that I've got this morning are from the Passion Translation I know that some people um prefer just your standard NIV but just wanted to say that straight up I personally love the way that it um expands it a little bit but I know that it's a paraphrase so just that's all good. Um, so Mark 12, verse 30, 31 to 31, if you've got it, got it, it says, this is Jesus speaking, you are to love the Lord Yahweh, your God, how good is this, with a passionate heart, from the depths of your soul, with your every thought and with all of your strength. This is the great and supreme commandment. And the second is this. You must love your neighbor in the same way you love yourself. You will never find a greater commandment than these. So when I say that's all it is, it's because that's what Jesus says. These are in the midst of all of the Old Testament, all the commandments, everything that's gone on through history. He says it comes down to these two things. Loving God, loving people. And I think sometimes within the church, I just pray, even as I'm talking now, that you don't get so familiar with that term love because we hear it and we go, yeah, we know, like, we've got to love people, we've got to love God. Like, but the power and the impact of what that love is and what it can do and how it can transform, I think that if ever we become familiar about it, we need to slap ourselves with a wet fish and just be like, I need to get over myself because if you actually understood the power of love that you have for our community, that you can, what, what it can transform, how it can heal, how it can mend, I think that we need to get a fresh revelation on it. And I need to get a fresh revelation on it personally, which is why I wanted to share it this morning. So, it says in John 15, 12, This is my command. Again, this is Jesus. Love each other deeply as much as I have loved you. For the greatest love of all is a love that sacrifices all. For this great love is demonstrated when a friend sacrifices his life for his friends. So, this is just like a little platform setting. And then let's do it. I mean, you can say amen, you can dance around this morning, you can like be joyful in the house of the Lord. (laughs) Might help with the coldness in your bones. (laughs) At least do it for that. Um, No, so what am I doing? Let's go, sorry, I'm looking for it in my um, Bible. Luke Luke 19, sorry, verse 9. 
It's going to be on the screen, but if you've got your Bible, you can turn to it and say, get it. Luke 19 verse 9. So what I want to do this morning is I really want you to be honest. Don't like stand up and confess your sins or anything, but be honest in yourself when I'm talking about this. I want to show you three groups of people that Jesus interacts with and the way that he loves them. And I want you to really personalize it for who these people in the, because it's so easy for us to read a, a story in the Bible and we can distance ourselves from it and go, oh, that's Jesus and that's Zacchaeus or that's the woman at the well or that's, you know, and you can create a distance because, you know, it's in the Bible. I really want you, as I'm telling these stories, as I'm reading these stories to you, to make it really personal of who does this person represent in my world today? Because I think, we can think that we're good at something like, oh, I know how to love God. I know how to love people. But when you personalize it, and I, even if you need to put a name to that person in your own head and go, how do I love this person? How do I show them Jesus' love? How have I interacted with them this week? And I hope that it challenges you. My heart is that it would challenge you, but it would encourage you. And that as a family, we'd just be so good at this. We'd be so good at loving like Jesus. Because I think, and I'm going to read a verse a little bit later on, it so defines who we are. And it says so much about who we are, the way that we love people. So I'm going to read a couple of stories. So the first one in Luke 19, verse 1, are our cheats and our crooks. Have we got that on there? Cheats and crooks? No? Yeah. Cheats and crooks. So think about in your world. Who do you know that is someone who's a cheat or a crook? They're not the nicest. They're not the kindest. They do things for selfish gain. Yeah? And this is our friend Zacchaeus. Let's meet him. On his way to Jerusalem, Jesus had to pass through Jericho. There lived a very wealthy man named Zacchaeus who supervised all the tax collectors. Yeah? He wasn't just a tax collector. He was the boss. Yeah? So he was like the dirtiest of the dirty who controlled all the other tax collectors. And back in that day, the tax collectors were cheats. Yeah? They ripped people off. They got more money than they needed to for their own personal gain. So Zacchaeus, he's not just one of them. He's leading the gang. Okay? He was very eager to see Jesus and kept trying to get a look at him through a massive crowd. But since Zacchaeus was a short man and couldn't see over the heads of the people, he ran up ahead of everyone and climbed up a blossoming fig tree to get a glimpse of Jesus as he passed by. When Jesus got to that place, he looked up into the tree and said, Zacchaeus, hurry on down. I must stay at your house today. So he scurried down the tree and found himself face to face with Jesus. As Jesus left to go with Zacchaeus, many in the crowd complained, look at this, of all the people to have dinner with, he's going to eat in the house of a crook. Don't you just love Jesus? I just, I love that he's, you know, knows, he's walking through the crowd. There were so many people there that a short guy couldn't even see past. And yet Jesus knew to look up. There you are, Zacchaeus. I got you. I spot you. Come on, let's have dinner. And all of the crowd knew who Zacchaeus was. They knew that he was the boss. They knew that he was the dirty crook. And Jesus knows this. Jesus doesn't care. 
He doesn't care about the opinions of others. He doesn't care about the opinions of the crowd and the multitude because he sees the one. He sees the one that needs breakthrough and he sees the one that needs that moment with him alone, one-on-one in his house so that he can minister straight to him without the opinions and the noise of the crowd. So cool. And I love that the crowd was like, oh, Jesus. Like, imagine that. Like, you've got Jesus in your town as if you're going to, like, correct what he's doing. For some reason, they feel the need to, like, oh, so naughty. I want Jesus at my house. Nah. Verse 8. Zacchaeus was amazed over his gracious visit to his home and joyously welcomed Jesus. Zacchaeus stood in front of the Lord and said, half of all that I own, I will give to the poor. And Lord, if I have cheated anyone, if I have cheated anyone, I promise to pay them back four times as much as I stole. Jesus said to him, your repentance shows that today life has come to you in your household and that your true son of Abraham, the son of man has come to seek out and give life to those who are lost. Oh, so good. Jesus is just, can, like, I hope you even fall more in love with Jesus as I read these stories to you afresh. Who in your world is a cheat and a crook? How do you interact with them? How do you love them? The beautiful thing about Jesus, and I want in all of these stories for you to look at, it's not so much always what he does, but it's also what he doesn't do. Jesus doesn't call him out. He doesn't shame him in front of the crowd. He doesn't say, you dirty, rotten scoundrels, the kiss, you're taking all these people's money. Like, he doesn't. But what he does is he loves him. And he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, I love you. What does he do? He does it with his actions. Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house for dinner. And it says, that verse in verse 8, Zacchaeus was amazed over his gracious visit to his home and joyously welcomed Jesus. Jesus didn't even have to call him out. He didn't have to condemn him. He didn't have to call down all of heaven. He didn't have to do a big prayer meeting for him. All he had to do was love him and say, I'm going to come and have dinner with you. And that was enough to break down Zacchaeus' walls. That was enough for Zacchaeus to go, I'm sorry, God. In our world church, celebration church, there are people that have wronged you. There are people that have done bad by you. But how do you respond to that? I'm not saying that what they're doing isn't, you know, you have to, like, I don't know what the word is, like, forget about it or condone their behavior. But I'm saying the way you respond out of love has more power than you calling them out and shaming them and shutting them down. The way that you love people in your world has an effect with Jesus's love, by the way, not just your own love, but with Jesus's love in you has such an effect that it can break down walls and straight away it turns him in that moment from being a crook to I'm going to pay back everything but more, double fold. I want to challenge us How do you treat the cheats and the crooks in your life? I love that. And Jesus just says it so beautifully in verse 10. I've come to seek out and give life to those who are lost. It wasn't about what Zacchaeus was doing. It was about the fact that he was lost. And in our world, sometimes we focus so much on what they're doing than the fact that they just need Jesus. People in our world that we encounter that might, like I said, it might be right for you to be like, I feel wrong, hard done by by them. But at the end of the day, they still need Jesus. At the end of the day, they still need love. At the end of the day, they still need forgiveness. How do we move towards those people? The next one is our sin 
and our shame. We had our cheats and our crooks. Now we've got sin and shame in John verse 8. John 8, sorry. John 8, verse 1. And please, please don't go. I just, I pray that we don't get familiar. I pray that we don't get familiar with even Jesus. Even just what he does. I love him so much. And I love that he responds in such a non-conventional way, in a way that people don't expect. But it says that he is our example. He's our example in everything, in life of how we should live, how we should conduct ourselves. It's him. So let that settle. So John 8 verse 1. These are our sin and sh- this sin and shame. So Jesus walked up to the Mount of Olives near the city where he spent the night. Then at dawn, Jesus appeared in the temple courts again, and soon all the people gathered around to listen to his words. So he sat down and taught them. Then in the middle of his teaching, the religious scholars and the Pharisees broke through the crowd and brought a woman who had been caught in the act of committing adultery and made her stand in the middle of everyone. Then they said to Jesus, Teacher, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Doesn't Moses' law command us to stone to death a woman like this? Tell us, what do you say we should do with her? They were only testing Jesus because they had hoped to trap him with his own words and accuse him of breaking the laws of Moses. But Jesus didn't answer them. I love it. Again, just like... Instead, he simply bent down and wrote in the dust with his finger... Angry, they kept insisting that he answer their question. So Jesus stood up and looked at them and said, Let's have the man who has never had a sinful desire throw the first stone at her. And then he bent over again and wrote more words in the dust. Upon hearing that, her accusers slowly left the crowd one at a time, beginning with the oldest to the youngest, with a convicted conscience, until finally... Jesus was left alone with the woman still standing there in front of him. So he stood back up and said to her, Dear woman, where are your accusers? Is there no one to condemn you? Looking around, she replied, I see no one, Lord. Then he said, Then I certainly don't condemn you either. Go from your own now. Be free from a life of sin. How many times, church... Do we throw the stones? When people are caught in sin and shame and we, we throw those rocks and we throw them by, oh, I'm not going to hang out with that person anymore. Let me just distance myself from their behaviour. We throw the rocks by, oh, I just feel like I need to tell somebody about this person's sin. We need to pray for them and you start gossiping about them behind their back. You throw the stones by actually physically, you know, maybe even, maybe not physically throwing stones, but you throw the stones by maybe your verbal words. Oh, I can't believe you did that. Oh, my good. Oh, so shocking. Whoa, you call yourself a Christian? Maybe not even a Christian. Maybe it's just people in your workplace. Really? Oh, you did what? Whoa. And you accuse, you shame, you point out, you throw the stones. Our beautiful Jesus said, if any of you are without sin, go ahead. 
it is not our job, church. It is not our job to ever condemn or shame anybody. (laughs) Just FYI, it is not my job ever to accuse or shame or condemn anybody based on the life that they're living. It's not that I'm agreeing with the life that they're living, but that's not my job. That is the Holy Spirit's job. It says that He is the one that brings conviction. He is the one that brings correction. I don't do that. I have no right to speak into someone's life and go, eh, yuck, really? Because who am I? What have I, what's in my heart? What's in my spirit? What have I got that I'm still trying to work through? And Jesus does this again. He loves. He doesn't shame. They brought her in the act. I've heard people preach on this before, but gosh, like in the act of adultery, ripped her out, stood her in front of a group of men that were all there listening to Jesus She's there. She knows. She knows what she's been doing is wrong. And yet they bring her out and they publicly go, come on, Jesus, what are you going to do? And his response is so beautiful. Even to the point of he doesn't look at her. Oh, it makes me teary. Even to the point of he gets down He averts his eyes. He doesn't add shame. And he writes in the dust. How beautiful, beautiful Jesus. He doesn't stand up in front of her. He doesn't confront her. He just quietly goes down, says, if any of you are any better, be my guest. Because he knows what's in human's heart. He knows what's in the heart of man. And then when everybody else is gone, then he has a moment with her. He says, where is everybody? She says, I don't know. He says, all right, go. You're forgiven. You're released. Oh, can you imagine that woman literally standing there thinking, my whole life is about to end now in the front, in the face of all of these men that are going to publicly shame and ridicule me, and they don't. And she has this, this moment of life and death where Jesus then just releases her and says, go. The freedom she would have felt, the, the, the weight that would have lifted off her shoulders. We have this ability, church, with the people in our world. You and I, with Jesus, you have that ability to do that for people to not shame, to not ridicule, to not point, to not throw stones, but to love them in a way that releases them, to love them in a way that says, I'm not going to look at your shame. I'm not going to make it more awkward for you because do you know, and I think all of us would know, no one needs to tell you how bad you are, right? You are your own worst enemy. Like you know, you know your stuff. Like all of you have still got stuff. I've still got stuff. You know what goes on in your own heart. You don't need people to come and go, and poke it because you get it our world your workplace your families don't need you coming in with your bible going um excuse me they know like honestly they know but what what pulls them apart, what makes them vulnerable, what brings them to their knees, when someone comes in on their level and loves, when someone comes in on their level and says, I got you, I will, I will, I will come down and I will meet you where you're at. I'm not going to accuse, I'm not going to 
And I'm not saying again that you're supporting their behaviour. There's a difference, yeah? I'm not being like, yay, sin and shame. But at the same time, you come in with that humility and that humble heart to go, as a family, we are going to love like Jesus. We are going to welcome you in. We're going to embrace you. We're going to adopt you. And again, church, think about who is in your world that is this. Who is in your workplace? Who is in your family? We've all got people. Name them. How have you loved them this week? How have you moved towards them this week? Maybe we haven't done so great. Maybe you were those Pharisees standing in the circle with a stone. But this is where we need to be better. We need to be, better is not the right word. We need to be more like Jesus. Yeah? So good. All right, our next one. Different and disapproved. We had our cheats and our crooks, our sin and shame. These are our different and disapproved. We're going to go to John 4. Again, just Jesus, man. You could just... And maybe some of you haven't read, hold on, maybe some of you haven't read the, um, the uh, what am I saying, like you haven't read Jesus' life story for a while, because I feel like that's something that when you first become a Christian, you know, you read the Gospels, you know, you go through and you read Jesus' life and then we get into other things, and, but never, never get too familiar with going back going back to Jesus, going back to his, his walk, how he, how he ministered to the Father, how he ministered to people. Because like I said, that is what we're supposed to be doing. So, oh, I'm running out of time. Let's move on. John 4, verse 1. It's not verse 1. I lie. Verse 5. Jesus arrived at the Samaritan village of Sychar? Sychar? Near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Wearied by his long journey, he sat on the edge of Jacob's well and sent his disciples into the village to buy food, for it was already afternoon. Soon a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. She replied, Why would a Jewish man ask a Samaritan woman for a drink of water? For Jews have had no dealings with Samaritans. Again, how good is Jesus? Like he just doesn't even, I mean, he knows, but he just doesn't even engage with those social norms. The Jews and the Samaritans didn't mix. They weren't friends. They, it, wasn't, it wasn't a thing. And Jesus straight away, and a woman as well. Again, a woman and a man. Jesus replied, this is verse 10, If you only knew who I am, the gift that God wants to give you, you'd ask me for a drink and I would give you living water. The woman replied, but sir, you don't even have a bucket and the well is very deep. (laughs) So where do you find this living water? Do you really think that you are greater than our ancestor Jacob who dug this well and drank from it himself along with his children and livestock? Jesus answered, if you drink from Jacob's well, you will be thirsty again. But if anyone drinks the living water I give them, they will never be thirsty again. For when you drink the water I give you, it becomes a gushing fountain of the Holy Spirit, flooding you with endless life. So Jesus isn't just talking to somebody who is different, because this whole thing, different and disapproved. It's not just someone who's different. It's somebody who is they're not supposed to have social interactions with. It's somebody who is a woman. And then he's not even just talking to her. He is now ministering kingdom. He's now going, I'm going to go one step further 
and give you this living water, Holy Spirit, river of life. The woman replied, let me drink that water so I'll never be thirsty again and I won't have to come back here to draw water. Jesus said, and then this is, again, the cool part, go and get your husband and bring him back here. But I'm not married, the woman answered. Jesus, that's true, Jesus said. For you've been married five times and now you're living with a man who's not your husband. You have told the truth. (laughs) The woman changes the subject. You must be a prophet. So tell me this. Why do our fathers worship God on this nearby mountain, but you people teach that Jerusalem is a place where we must worship? Who is right? Jesus said, Believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on a mountain nor in Jerusalem, but in your heart. Your people don't really know the one they worship, but we Jews worship out of our experience. For it's from the Jews Jews that the salvation is available. From now on, worshipping the Father will not be a matter of right place, but with a right heart. For God is spirit, and he longs to have sincere worshippers who adore him in the realm of the spirit and in truth. The woman said, this is all so confusing, but I know that the anointed one is coming, the true Messiah, and when he comes, he will tell us everything we need to know. Jesus said to her, you don't have to wait any longer. The anointed one is here speaking with you. I am the one that you're looking for. At that moment, his disciples returned and were stunned to see Jesus speaking with a Samaritan woman. Yet none of them dared to ask him why or what they were discussing. All at once, the woman left her water jar and ran off to her village and told everyone, come and meet a man at the well who told me everything I've ever done. He could be the one we've been waiting for. Hearing this, the people came streaming out of the village to go to Jesus. We're going to jump down to verse 39. It says... Many of the Samaritan village became believers in Jesus because of this woman's testimony. He told me everything I did. Then they begged Jesus to stay with them. So he stayed there for two days, resulting in many more coming to faith in him because of his message. I know that's a lot of scripture, but oh my goodness, let's just unpack this. Again, Samaritan and Jew, man and woman, He starts talking to her about kingdom, about river of life. Then he doesn't even just start doing that. He reveals who he is. Like, can we actually just get that? Like, Jesus then goes, she's saying, oh, the Messiah's coming. Jesus then says, I am he. She actually, he then reveals, I am the anointed one. She goes, runs back to her village, goes and gets everybody. And it says that so many people became believers in Jesus. Again, I, I wish I had all of the knowledge. Maybe, maybe I should ask Narelle. You should come up and, and share. But, but like scholarly, scholarly scho- I don't know. But like, what? <laughs> like historically, that is an amazing fact that then all the Samaritans in that village became believers of Jesus. And then it just says, Jesus stayed in the village for two days. He's a Jew. That doesn't happen. He stays in the village. And because of that, because he bypasses social norms, because he says, doesn't matter if you're different or you're disapproved from, you know, what the Jewish culture says, I'm going to go past all of that. And it results in salvations of the village. He wasn't, he wasn't concerned with anything other than bringing kingdom in that moment and loving, loving beyond the barriers, loving beyond the walls, loving beyond. And think about in your world, who is different? Who might not believe what you believe? Who is even living a life that is disapproved? 
do you move to them towards them with such love and such? And Jesus is just so beautiful in all of this. He's just so beautiful in all of it. And it results in salvation. Oh, it's so cool. It's just, it's, again, looking at what he does is one thing, but looking at what he doesn't do is another. He doesn't get caught up in the, the religious laws. He doesn't get caught up in the fact that she's a woman. He doesn't get caught up in, you know, all of that stuff. He sees a woman that is living a life that's not super wholesome, but that needs the kingdom of God to invade. And he says, like, I got you. Like, you are in my line of sight. And because of that, a whole village says many came to believe in Jesus that they asked him, stay with him. What did, what did he talk about in those two days? He stayed in that village for two days. Imagine the salvations. Imagine the healings. Imagine the conversations. Imagine, you know, what does he share with him? How does he input into their lives? For two days they hosted the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Just because Jesus says, I'm going to love you. Just because Jesus says, it doesn't matter who you are, what everyone else says, the life that you're living you need this. Your village needs this. Who in your world is that church? I love this. John 13 verse 34 and 35 says, so I give you now a new commandment. Love each other just as much as I have loved you. For when you demonstrate the same love I have for you by loving one another, everyone will know that you are my true followers. Our love celebration church, a family that loves like Jesus. It doesn't love based off you, doesn't love based off your feelings, doesn't love based off your opinions, but loves like Jesus. It says, everyone will know that you are my followers by the way that you love. The way that you love in your schools, in your workplaces, in your families, our community, shouldn't just go, oh, yeah, I heard about Celebration Church because, I don't know, they're building a new cafe space. They should hear who we are because of our love. Your love, your actions, it says, your actions should speak louder than your words. In this case, this is what Jesus is saying. By the way that you love, people will know who you are. That is such a crazy, crazy, confronting, humbling, but also like exciting thing. The way that I love the crooks and the cheats, the way that I love the sinners and the ones in shame, the way that I love the different and the disapproved in my world, that is going to tell people more about Jesus than what my words ever will. The way that I interact with them, the way that I embrace them, the way that I move towards them, the way that I don't throw rocks at them. So crazy. Like, oh, I just wish that, like, I wish that we could actually understand that, like, like that. For when you demonstrate the same love that I have for you by loving one another, it's Jesus, everyone will know that you are my followers. Ooh. <laughs> But then also the opposite, like, is kind of a little bit confronting. If people know who we are based off our love, then they don't know who he is based off the way that we 
Do you know what I'm, I don't know how to word that. Do you know what I'm saying? Like the opposite is also true. If people know who he is based of how we love, then people will also know who he is based of how we love or we don't love. So you, it's, it's such a humbling and confronting and challenging thing to think that you stepping out in your day is you showing people Jesus. So how people hear your words, how people see your lifestyle, how people encounter you in Coles Car Park, you are showing them Jesus. Is it accurate? (laughs) This is so cool. This is my last verse. Matthew 5, verse 43. Your ancestors have also been taught, love your neighbours and hate the one who hates you. However, when Jesus says, however, (laughs) I say to you, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you and respond to the very one who persecutes you by praying for them. Four, that will reveal your identity again, reveal your identity as children of your heavenly father, how you treat the least. This is so cool. He is kind to all by bringing the sunrise to warm and rainfall to refresh, whether a person does what is good or evil. What reward do you deserve if you only love the lovable? Don't even the tax collectors do that. How are you any different from others if you limit your kindness only to your friends? Don't even the ungodly do that? Since you are children of a perfect father in heaven, become perfect like him. There is so much in that verse goodness. Jesus just comes in and again, he trumps. The Old Testament says, love your neighbor. Other people say that, but I'm saying, let's go one up. It's easy to love people that love you. It's easy to love your friends. It's easy for me to hang out with my sister She's my best friend in the whole world. That's so easy. I'm, it's not hard for me to love her. But he says, love your enemy. Bless the one who curses you. Do something wonderful for the one who hates you. And respond to the one who persecutes you by praying for them. Because that will reveal your identity of your heaven, identity as children of your heavenly father. And then it goes on to say, even this morning we were singing about God's goodness. It doesn't discriminate. God is not picking and choosing. It says, you know, he, he brings the sun to rise and the rainfall to water the earth. And everyone gets to partake in that. Whether you're good or you're bad. He doesn't say, I'm just going to be kind to the Christians. He doesn't. 
His goodness and His love and His kindness is for all. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, that He's not just like exclusive to the Christians. Like He's not. Let's remember that. <laughs> he is good to everybody, to the sinners, to the lost, to the broken. He is kind. He is gracious. He is loving to all of humanity. He doesn't pick and choose because it's who he is. And so that's what Jesus is saying. If God is like that, why do we get so exclusive with our love, with our kindness, with our generosity? It's easy. It's easy to love the lovable. But what you are doing to the ones that hurt you, to the ones that offend you, to the ones that you probably have every right to hold them accountable for what they've done, but what you do in those moments, Jesus says, that shows who you are as a child of God more than anything else. And I, I shared a word at the beginning of this year about the prodigal son and us being a family that welcomes people home. And this goes along with that, that we would be a family that loves like Jesus that we don't discriminate, that we don't pick and choose, that we don't line them up and go, well, don't really agree with that. I don't, I'm not saying you have to agree with people's lifestyle. You don't have to, you know, be an advocate for things that people are doing. But you do, as a Christian, as somebody who has received the love of God, it is my privilege. And it's also kind of, it's my responsibility and my job to love Everybody. Everybody. As a Christian, Jesus said it. I said at the very beginning, 10 commandments, love God and love people. I don't think that I have a choice. I, I believe that in my walk with God, because of the love that he has given me, because of the kindness that he has given me, because of the grace that he has given me, it is not my right to pick and choose who I love. It is not my right to hold people accountable. That's his job. But for me to love like Jesus, for us to be a family that loves like Jesus, for us to move towards the crooks and the cheats, the one that are in sin and shame, the one that is different and disapproved and love them. Oh, church, that's revival. <laughs> My gosh, that is people coming into this place feeling like they're home. That is people coming in not feeling like they're judged, not feeling like they're shamed, not feeling like there's any type of them and me disconnect, but being embraced. That church, that's a church I want to be a part of because that's kingdom, that's Jesus. Ooh. And I just pray, gosh, I, I don't have this revelation yet the way that I need to. I still get cranky at people when I'm driving. <laughs> I'm not always loving <laughs> to all the world. <laughs> but if we become a family that loves like Jesus, that honestly is revival, a hundred percent. A hundred percent. So, let me pray for us this morning. Is that okay?
in Jesus' name. Um, why don't you stand where you're at? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Good. Amen. All right. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. If you feel comfortable, church, when you stretch out your hands towards heaven. Thank you, Father. Oh, Jesus, you are just such a beautiful, beautiful example and representation of perfect love. And this morning, as, as we read about your life, as we read about the, the way that you so kindly interacted with people and brought kingdom into their life, Father, firstly, Jesus, firstly, we want to we repent. I want to repent <laughs> and ask for your forgiveness when we haven't loved like you, when we've held our own prejudices and biases and opinions towards people towards people in our family or our workplaces or our city. God, when we haven't been an accurate reflection of who you are, Father, we ask for your forgiveness in that. But more than that, God, I ask for just this morning, just an extra portion of your love to rest on people's hearts, that as they receive your love this morning, as they receive your goodness this morning, that they will be able to give that out in their weeks, in the weeks that are coming from tomorrow or even just today onwards, but from the week, the work week tomorrow when it starts, God, that as they interact with their workmates, their family, people in our city, God, that you would convict and challenge them to love the way that you love and that in doing that, that we will see revival, we will see salvations, we will see the, he the healing come to broken families, healing come to people that are, are needing you, that are needing an encounter with you, God. Jesus, we just offer up ourselves again as living sacrifices to be your hands and your feet this week. Jesus, that we would be able to love like you in such a way that does see your kingdom come and your will be done in our city, God. We thank you for what you're doing in this place. But Jesus, we know that there's so much more. And I thank you that you're patient with us. I thank you that you're kind with us, that you, you are leading us in such a beautiful way, God. But as our church family goes out this week, Holy Spirit, I pray that you just encourage them, bless them, that they would be able to be your love, be your hands, be your feet. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you would like to know more about our church, please go to celebrationchurch.com.au.